0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, a little bit of a uh, special episode here. Got to talk national title game. Got to talk some mailbag questions. Uh, how are you? You ready to go?
1: Ready to go, man. Ready to go.
0: It is Friday morning, January the 8th. So we are getting close, closer and closer as we go to uh, the national title game on Monday. Let's start there, Mike. At, oh, let's see what time it'll be at. I'm very prepared, as you can tell. Uh, Yeah. 8 o'clock on ESPN, the number three Ohio State Buckeyes taking on the number one Alabama Crimson Tide from Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. Spread is eight points in favor of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, Total is 75. Uh, Mike, do you have like a real good sense for this game? You know what you're doing here?
1: I don't see any reason why I should pick against Alabama. I mean, it's been kind of my pick for a while now to win the national championship game, and Ohio State surprised me with how they played against Clemson and the Sugar Bowl, certainly. Um, I just – I look at the playmakers for Alabama, and I look at the offense, and then I, I look at what Ohio State did against Clemson, and they were really, really good up front. Offensive line was outstanding. They ran the ball really well. Alabama's had their issues on defense, which does give me a little bit cause for concern, but I look at this game from a high level. I look at everything Alabama has offensively, and I feel like they can make enough stops defensively um, where if this gets high scoring, you're still going to favor Alabama. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure Ohio state's defense or any defense for that matter can really slow down Alabama. I mean, Najee Harris is, Probably one of the best running backs in school history, which I, they got a lot of good ones, but he is right up there. I, I wouldn't put many ahead of him.
0: I was going to say that's saying a hell of a lot with Alabama.
1: Yeah. And like, he wasn't even a Heisman finalist. Seriously. I mean, he is so, he's such a good player and historically at Alabama, they've been really good at running back and he's right up there. And that's before you factor in Devonte Smith and, uh, Forrest all the tight end and everything Mac Jones has been able to do. and, Hey, uh, by the way, it it sounds like Jalen Waddle, and I don't know if this is gamesmanship, I guess we'll find out, Jalen Waddle might be a game day decision, according to Nick Saban, so Mm -hmm, he's been mm -hmm. practicing, and if he's anywhere close to healthy, then (laughs) best of luck. That makes a difference, yeah. I mean, he probably would have been the guy that would have been a Heisman finalist if it weren't for him getting hurt early in the year with his start and how how he played early, so this is just a ridiculous offense, and I I don't know if Waddle will be healthy or not, but That's just another guy you got to prepare for if you're Ohio State. So I just, at a high level, I think Alabama's offense is too good. And even if, you know, Ohio State moves the ball up and down the field on the Crimson Tide, I just, I don't like Ohio State or any team for that matter in a shootout with this Alabama team. I really don't. I really, really don't. And that's just the bottom line here. Just X's and O's aside, like, this team is really good. Really good. Yep. And I just don't know if anybody can really score with them, even if Ohio State could be capable.
0: Mike, I'm with you. Like, for at least two months now, I mean, and I've said things to this effect on this podcast is, I, I mean, I've, I've been of the opinion that Alabama and Clemson were the two best teams in the country. Um, now, Clemson obviously got blown out here by Ohio State. But I, I was saying, you know, a couple months ago, I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama was like a double-digit favorite in the national title game over whoever they play. Um, Because that is the level of effective that they have been. That is how good and how dominant they've been against everybody they've played. But, Mike, I will say that there are are like two and a half things that are kind of giving me pause here. Um, And let me explain. The first one is just, I mean, and and all this is just uh, all these unknowns surrounding this game. So the first one is how jarringly impressive Ohio State was against Clemson in a way that they haven't been all year. Right. So was that the outlier or can they turn around and do that again? And, and if yeah. not, if at least make this competitive, if not win the thing outright.
1: I, yeah. I think if they, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, the one thing, the one thing I'll say too, is like Ohio state on paper, Joey, you'll remember like before, before we had any questions about when the games would be played and wh- what the schedule was going to be. You looked at this team on paper, and a lot of people had Ohio State as the number one team in the country going into this season. Yep. It wasn't always Alabama. Yeah, It turned into Alabama once Ohio State didn't start playing until October. Right. Um, this was an Ohio State team that was returning a ton from a team that narrowly lost to Clemson uh, last year in the semifinal. And they were returning a ton of talent, production, obviously, Justin Fields, B-man among them, right? Yep what they were bringing in at running back. This was a team on paper that looked really, really good going into the year before all of the COVID craziness. So the fact that they're in this game, when you look back to like the summer is not a huge surprise. It's how they've played to this point prior to what we saw in the sugar bowl. Yep. It gives me pause too. That's the question.
0: Absolutely. Well, so, so the next thing that gives me pause here is, <sighs> As we talked about in the recap of that of that Sugar Bowl game, um, Ohio State owned Clemson in the trenches a little bit. Like, they dominated the trenches of that game pretty effectively. They did. In a way similar to what we saw Notre Dame do against Clemson this year. Yep. And really not that far off from kind of what we saw from Notre Dame doing against Alabama in, in that Cotton Bowl – or, sorry, the Rose – Bowl or whatever the hell we're calling it. I don't know. It was in Dallas. Um, So the fact that I, I think, you know, as much as we talk about you can't really, really use the transitive property in football, like, well, this case, like, you might be able to a little bit from a matchup standpoint is like, can Ohio State be that dominant in the trenches against an Alabama team? Like, if they could do it against Clemson and Notre Dame could do it against Clemson and Notre Dame can do it against Alabama... Well then, I think Ohio State could probably do it against Alabama. I'm, I'm drawing a little triangle out here on my desk. It's, you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's but like if and so if you can do that, then maybe without committing a ton up front, you can like slow down Najee Harris and that running attack, and you can commit resources in the back end to trying to jam up passing lanes. And I don't know. I'm trying to convince myself here a little bit. I think I don't know.
1: Well, I I don't know. I mean, Ohio State. Running the football, I think, is something that they hang their hat on. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of pressure off of Justin Fields in the passing game. And When they're able to do that, you see how effective Justin Fields can be. I mean, a big reason why Justin Fields had six touchdowns in the Sugar Bowl was because he had help uh, from the running game. Trey Sermon was outstanding in the Sugar Bowl, and that helped a lot. It took a lot of pressure off of the passing game, which – If Ohio State can run the ball effectively against Alabama, which I think they can. Notre Dame had some success running the ball against Alabama. I think Ohio State certainly can with better talent. Um, Then that's how you make this a game. This is going to come down to whether or not Alabama gets enough stops on defense to really pull away. Because offensively, both teams can score with each other. It's going to be which defense gets the stop. I think this is going to be really high scoring. I'm going to take Ohio State to cover, I think, based on what I saw in the Sugar Bowl. I probably would not have said that two weeks ago. Um, But I'm saying that now based on, and maybe that's recency bias, but I have a really hard time picking against Alabama. I really do. With Nick Saban, what he's able to do, Ryan Day coaching his first national championship game as a head coach. You know, Saban's been there a million times. It feels like he's just in it every year. It's either him or Dabo at this point, um, or him and Dabo. So this is just, I think it's an experience thing. I think it's a talent thing offensively for Alabama. And bottom line is that if Alabama generates one or two stops, that might be enough with how this offense plays. And maybe I don't give enough credit to Ohio State's defense, Joey, but I just have a lot of trouble even seeing the Ohio State defense for as well as they played against Clemson doing the same thing against an Alabama team that's much more potent offensively. I have a really hard time seeing them generate enough stops. It's
0: it's also hard to get out of my head that this Ohio State defense gave up 35 points to Indiana like and, yeah. and 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 I don't mean to talk trash about Indiana like shout out homefield but like there's a, there's a difference in quality between the Indiana offense and the Alabama offense like correct you know that that's all I'm saying so uh, then again they gave up less than that to clemsons and I would have said that there's a quality difference there as well so it, it, again some strange things going on here now the, the the half thing or things I guess that kind of bring me a little bit of pause here There's been some rumblings around some potential positive COVID tests and some potential Mm -hmm. not-playing guys from Ohio State, particularly on their defensive line. Yep. That's a big, big question mark uh, of will will they, won't they? Is this going to be a problem? Because if if they don't have a fully loaded defensive line like that, that's going to be a huge issue for that defense. I agree. Um, I totally agree. They've said that Justin Fields is completely and totally healthy. No problem. Ready to go. Maybe. I, I don't know. looked pretty bad like, when he was playing against Clemson. So I don't yeah. know how much you heal that in 10 days. Um, then again, I've never had a hip pointer or broken ribs or anything like that. So hard to say. Um,
1: Charlie hasn't put you in that position at this point.
0: No, not yet. Not yet. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. Right. He's a, he's yeah, a little yes. bit of a, uh, a thrill seeker, we'll say, Mike. Right. Um, likes to yep. climb things. But anyways, um, Alabama's offensive coordinator has taken a head coaching job at Texas um I I assume he's still focused on this game and game planning and all that but you know Texas I could see taking a little bit of his attention if not more um, that's a that's an important big difficult mess of a job um right. like there's a lot that goes on here that I, I just I don't I don't know'm I'm, I'm uncomfortable with all the unknowns around it in in terms of trying to bet this um if I have to make a pick right now, I I guess I'm going to go with my gut and say what I've said the whole year, and I'm going to go with Alabama. I think they can win this pretty comfortably. Again, there are things that give me pause. We saw, like, you know, the teams that have come closest on Alabama are Georgia in the first half because they had an absurdly dominant defense that was able to get stops, and Florida, who was able to keep up in a shootout.
1: Ole Miss hung around for a little bit, and Ole Miss, yeah. Well, not a little bit, a lot of it. I mean, it was like the fourth quarter got a little wonky for them, but they hung around for that better part of like three quarters. It never really felt like they were going to. Alabama was going to lose that game, but Ole Miss just like kept scoring points. I was like, oh my god.
0: Right. Yeah. No. And that's that's the thing. Yeah. Downfield passing game, explosive offense, all that. So, I think Ohio State can do those things. I just we we've only seen it once. Yeah. Really. And I just, I don't know. I'm just not ready. Um, yeah. Not a talent thing. Like, they're talented. It's just yeah. whether or
1: not they can do this consistently, which was the question we had going into the Clemson game. It's a bigger question going against a better team in Alabama.
0: Yeah. Uh, actually, I think my wife is going to like me for this because I tend to be a jinx on a lot of these things. But uh, give me Alabama, minus the eight. Uh, I think Alabama wins in, in a uh, blowout. Or in a, in a double-digit fashion, but time will tell. Um,
1: Ohio State, I'm going Ohio State plus eight, and bam, outright.
0: Last question I have on this game for you, Mike. Um, something to think about in in the really in the Nick Saban era. Is there a time that you can think of where Alabama has been like what we'll call the quote unquote good guys? Like has gotten national you know, like you get the feeling that, you know, just college football fans in general are kind of cheering for Alabama over whoever they're playing.
1: No, uh, with the exception of 2012 against Notre Dame. because everybody hates Notre Dame.
0: Okay. That's fair. Um, And and for what it's worth, I've cheered for Alabama on a time and occasion when they've played Georgia. So there's that, but like, that's, again, that's very specific. That's not like, you know, college football fans at large. Right. Uh, So my question is, does it feel like that almost might could be the case with this game in this spot, with the way that the Big Ten handled football this fall and the way that it was all so catered to Ohio State. And it kind of feels like Ohio State, like, there's there's a point, like, it feels like they should get what's coming to them almost, or, or like, you know, like, there's, I don't know if there's like a full, like, deservingness maybe with this season in Ohio State. Is it, do you get any sort of vibes like that?
1: Yeah, and it's not Ohio State's fault, really, but it's being directed mm. at Ohio State, right? It's not, like, not
0: their fault. <laughs>
1: It's here. I mean, this has been a big 10 bungling from the start, right? Like this has been a giant disaster and Ohio state's players catching COVID. I'm not about to assign blame for people getting sick during a pandemic, uh, but I will assign blame to the big 10 for trying to be all high and mighty pretending like player safety was at the forefront of their thinking back in the summer. When in reality, they were just trying to posture and then when the rest of college football was playing games and Big Ten was losing money, that's when they decided as as presidents they were going to get together and figure out a way to play the college football season. And then they made up these random rules about the six games to get your team into the conference championship game. When they realized Ohio State wasn't going to be able to play six regular season games to qualify, they changed the rules. And what happened after that was that the Big Ten changed the rules about the amount of time individuals could quarantine within the football program, making it look like, uh, you know, something that – was, oh, new CDC guidelines, and uh, now you're able to play in games because you aren't contagious as long as we thought you were. Uh, Bullshit, Joey. That's absolute bullshit. There Mm -hmm. were important players for Ohio State that weren't going to be able to participate in the bowl games. They knew it. The Big Ten knew it. And so they ratified, for the second time, ratified their rules to make sure that Ohio State was put in the best position possible. Yeah. So I just – I'm with you. I mean, Alabama, they, they got the good guys vibe going in this football game, without doubt.
0: Yeah. Well, and and I don't necessarily agree with, you know, what Kristen Saban said on Twitter there a, a couple days after uh, the, yeah, do I. the Sugar Bowl and all that of like, you know, Ohio State, there was a couple of rumors that maybe they'll, they'll have too many cases to play this game, and they'll have to push it back a week, and then there were, like, rumors of, well, maybe this is actually a conspiracy to get Justin Fields healthy, and like, Look, calling BS on, on positive COVID cases, not the best look these days, but again, it, it was almost just going to be like one more instance of feeling like the country is kind of catering to, to Ohio State, which as you've kind of listed out all the different ways that we've done that in the past several months, like it, it wouldn't be a, a good feeling or a good look, I feel like. so. Right. It does sound like they are going to play this game one way or the other. Um, And and unless there is some drastic uptick in cases, I guess on one side or the other to where it just wouldn't be a competitive game or a fair game. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It just, it is an interesting thought to think that at some point now, 12 years in and how many national titles in, I guess this would be number six for Saban. um, Yeah. That that maybe some by somehow, some way Alabama actually could be the good guys here. Um, That's, Kind of bizarre to think about. So anyways, Mike, anything else on this game before we move on? I think we're good. Let's keep going. We got some mailbag questions here. I really appreciate everybody sending in what they sent in. Uh, We got questions over email. got questions over Twitter. Uh, Let's start on Twitter. Uh, Your future brother-in-law, Scott Savino, asks, what ACC school do you have a love-hate relationship with? Uh, Mike, I think you've got one queued up here.
1: I do. Uh, The answer is Clemson because Hmm. I like to wager – some hard earned money on football games and Clemson has a way of making me angry. Every time I try to bet a spread that involves Clemson now that some of you might say, okay, well, that's, that's a, you problem, dude. Like don't bet on Clemson games, but there are, there are too many spreads where I'm like, Oh my God, this is gotta be a joke. Right. And then Clemson just doesn't really cover. And I'm just that great example would be against the Citadel. Clemson was a 39 point favorite in that game earlier this year. They went up thirty nine to nothing at halftime. They pulled all the starters and didn't score a single point the rest of the game. So, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, your backups should still score on Citadel. I mean, come on.
0: Yeah, I, that's fair. That's fair. So, yeah. Clemson for you. Um, I think the teams that that tend to frustrate me, and you'll you'll notice this pattern over the years. Um, first of all, I, I very clearly have a love hate relationship with Georgia Tech. Um, there, that is that is. Yes. Yeah, that's the easy answer. Um, the teams that tend to frustrate me are the ones that feel like they underperform. I'll say, you know, teams that I feel like should be better but they're not. So, for instance, if there's any NC State fans that still listen to this show, um, that's where that's kind of the root of my frustrations over the last couple of years were with Dave Doran and NC State was feeling like they they were pretty good but they should have been really good and they weren't, um, and so that was kind of frustrating for me. Um, now of course they've gotten better. So this is not about NC State. The, the right. team, the teams that come to mind now are teams like um, I, I think of like Pittsburgh. You know, we've we've started having conversations about Pat Narduzzi in that job. Um, I feel like they should be better than they are. They can be better. than they are. Uh, same with Virginia Tech. You're Hokies, Mike. Like they should be better than they are, and they're not. Yes. Um, Miami in a lot of ways should be better than they are, and they're not. You know, so that that kind of frustrates me. Certainly Florida State, by the way, <laughs> along those lines, um, should be better. um Georgia Tech also kind of in that vein um the other one I I think we're we're working our way towards um public enemy number two status maybe in the ACC is North Carolina Mm -hmm. the way that they've all of a sudden just jumped up and started recruiting at like a borderline top 10 level nationally kind of out of nowhere and that's just very suspicious isn't it Mike it's it's odd that programs can go from like a like a barely top forty recruiting level to all of a sudden like almost top ten.
1: It's think, just Mac Brown though. He's
0: such a good recruiter, Mike. He's such a good recruiter. Um, so yeah, I, I I think we're probably getting there with North Carolina. I'll say. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are the ones that really stick out to me. And then I guess for personal reasons, it's also Duke a little bit. Um, <laughs> they they've been good and, and really good and it's been a, a really great time to be a Duke fan over the last decade or so but I still feel like there's a lot of games they they should be getting beat on but they're not and it's just it's probably more my issue of just like I, I want to be right and I'm I'm just not want to watch Duke so yeah now I'm kind of feeling like I might be an ACC hater Mike I don't know I just listed like half the conference
1: <laughs> some people are gonna say that sounds like a you problem yeah, yes it is
0: I think so I think so but yeah, uh, plenty of those teams. So, uh, Mike, next question from Walter Hobbs on Twitter. He said, When is or was the true year one for coaches that started in the last couple of years? And now, the implication here being year one as opposed to the quote unquote year zero concept right. uh, being, you know, when a coach takes over a new program and it is a total tear down rebuild to the point that that first year doesn't even really count for anything at all ever. Um, and he lists out Jeff Halfley at Boston College, Manny Diaz at Miami, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech, Mike Norvell at Florida State, Scott Satterfield at Louisville, and Mac Brown at North Carolina. All of them started in 2019 or later. And s- more specifically, is Georgia Tech's situation any different from the others considering the quote-unquote monumental transition on offense? Really, the only one of those that stuck out to me really was Collins at Georgia Tech. Um, there were a couple I thought that had some real potential for it. But then in a way, like... The The results on the field like almost invalidated it being Jeff Halfley at yep. Boston College and Scott Satterfield at Louisville. Bingo.
1: Bingo. I'm 100% with you. I don't have a ton to add to this answer other than what you just said. But Jeff Collins, I think, year zero, I mean, year zero applied a year ago. And I think this past year was actually year one. When you have that sort of offensive upheaval um, and change schematically, you can't judge wins and losses, you know to the Citadel or what have you, for example, Joey? Yes, you um, can. You, yes,
0: you can. Still you can, can judge that.
1: <laughs> it's, it's hard when you're just got complete overturn of an offensive system like that. So I think that was a true year zero. I think Halfley and Satterfield defied the odds of their year zero situations. I think Phil Dracovic had a lot to do with that. And I think Malik Cunningham had a lot to do with that. So I think quarterback play certainly helped in the true first year of the program for Halfley and Satterfield to turn year zero into year one. I mean, Louisville and Boston College both exceeded expectations, certainly. So um, I I think those are the other two that we could perceive that way. But I think Georgia Tech was the only one where you truly look at and say, yeah, year one under Collins had to be year zero because of what they had to endure on offense.
0: I guess Mike Norvell at Florida State is a little bit of a year zero situation. Uh, Yes. Yeah, I'd accept that. That program might – it might might have been more of a year one that next year will be year zero. Like they need to like mm-hmm. go hard restart and just reset the culture in that locker room. I mean there's, there's some really deep set programs in Tallahassee. Um, weird question for you, Mike, and then we can move on. Do you feel like Scott Satterfield would have been better off, you know, here in the past month or so if in year one – it had actually kind of been more of a year zero situation if they had gone like two and 10 and struggled rather than going to eight and five or whatever they did.
1: I've had that thought a lot. And the only reason I, I say yes to that is because of the optics that he's had to endure. And like, I think part of the reason why he has been entertaining other jobs is because he did turn the Louisville situation around so quickly. I get year two was a step back, right from year one, but the fact that he went in there in year one and completely overturned the issues that, and Not completely, but he remedied about 75% of the issues that Bobby Petrino had in that locker room before he left. Speaks a lot to Scott Satterfield and his ability as a head coach. So I think it almost would have been better for him from an optics standpoint if they weren't as good in year one. But, man, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd still love to be in the position Louisville's in right now because I think the program is an attractive place regardless of whether Satterfield's a coach or not. I think they've fixed the issues on a larger scale that were there when Petrino was there. I think they really fixed those in, in two quick years with Satterfield, in my opinion.
0: Mike, Chris Grondon writes in over email, says, Hi, guys. Thanks for another season of great content. Got a couple of questions regarding the conference itself. Uh, number one, is there any chance whatsoever that Notre Dame would join the conference for football after the COVID year? And if they did, who might join along with them to keep the divisional balance?
1: I don't think so. Um, not as long as Notre Dame has that contract with NBC from a television standpoint, it makes the athletic department too much money. It actually, but most people have the football programs funding most of the athletic department at major P five schools. Um, but Notre Dame has the NBC contract, which I guess by association is obviously the football program, but that NBC TV contract makes Notre Dame so much money. Um, from an athletic department standpoint, that as long as they have that in place with NBC, I don't think is going anywhere from a conference standpoint.
0: Yeah, I I think there is a small chance that you might be seeing like a little bit of a change of the tides, you know, with them seeing the benefit of being in a conference, you know, having a consistent set of of games to play and a consistent set of opponents. And, um, you know, then that you can use that to enhance your recruiting footprints, all that um and then also obviously the way it leveraged you know having a conference championship game and using that whole structure and they got blown out in the conference championship game but like you know made the playoff who's to say if they do that if they're independent or not I don't know if the strength of schedules there I don't know yeah. if you have a game against Clemson or not I well don't
1: I will I will say real quick in regards to Notre Dames schedule I think the one thing uh, people have said okay do you go to a 10 game conference schedule it's been a big thing a big topic of discussion given what we endured this year can we go 10 and two, right? With 10 conference games, two non-con games. Um, The 10 conference game format, I I actually think would hurt Notre Dame Um, if they were to join the ACC. I think the eight and four would be better for them, right? Because then you can have Navy, you can have the rivalry with USC, you can schedule a Michigan or Michigan State or Purdue, and they can have one random softy game, right? Outside of the ACC and conference play if you were to join. So I think it would actually benefit Notre Dame to have that eight and four model because you keep some of those traditional rivalries Um, because I think what we could end up seeing is if it went 10 and two and NT was part of the conference, you could see just Navy and USC being the two non-conference games every year, which would be fine. I mean, Notre Dame can't be happy with that, but they like seeing those traditional rivalries with like Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue.
0: Yep. And we're going to talk about scheduling here in a minute. Um,
1: next question
0: was, was giving ACC coach of the year to Brian Kelly deserved, not doubting he did a great job, but there were coaches that led their teams to outperform expectations more than Notre Dame. Would you have given coach of the year to Brian Kelly, Mike?
1: Um, I think I would have the only other guy who I would look at from, Oh my God, he really outperformed expectations was Dave Doran. I think Manny Diaz was a good candidate until he got blown to hell off the field by North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, Notre, Notre Dame exceeded expectations and they made the playoff, um, beating Clemson and South Bend, I think clinched it for Brian Kelly. Um, so I think that was kind of the determining factor there but. I, I think the one guy I probably would have given it to if it wasn't Brian Kelly would have been Dave Doran.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Dave Doran's the other name that came to mind that I honestly would have probably been my pick. Um again, I don't hate NC State. I, I you know, I love Dave Doran. Who's to say? Um no, <laughs> yeah. I, I probably would have made Dave Doran the coach of the year based on recent track record and and you know, the way that they turned it around from last year and all that. Uh fought through quarterback injuries and and everything else they had to deal with. Um the other the only other name that stuck out that was like a maybe was Brian Kelly not Brian Kelly sorry Uh, was Jeff Halfley Um, but but that I think that kind of sputtered off towards the end of the year Boston College was kind of outperforming them you know their recent uh, performances earlier in the year but I think later in the year you know to finish six and five like that's really not that far off from what they've been doing in recent years so I think at that point I'm probably not giving it to Jeff Halfley Um, but he was another guy that midway through the year thought he was a real candidate as well yeah next question what are your thoughts on the success or enjoyability of ditching the divisions for this season? I know a lot of fans enjoyed having a different slate of opponents and might like more of that going forward.
1: I mean, I, I'm with them. Like, I I think it helps when you know you're seeing teams that you don't usually see. Um, I think it kind of speaks to the broader scheduling element we were just talking about with Notre Dame, right? I think there's more ability to schedule conference teams and and more crossovers when you're able to have like a 10 game conference schedule, for example, with two non-conference games, then you have that opportunity without, you know, completely ditching the divisions. Right. Um, You can still have the crossover games. I hate the permanent crossovers. Right. Um, I think if schools want to do it, great, do it, but I don't see why Georgia tech has to play Clemson every single year. And I think most Georgia tech fans would agree with that. So Yeah, so, like, I I don't love that. I don't love that Virginia Tech has to play Boston College every year. Like, I'd like to see a team other than Boston College. There's no reason to have that as a permanent crossover. I don't really understand that either. So I I think there are things that you can tweak, right? Um, And if they went to a 10-2 and format from a conference, non-conference standpoint, I think that would be – I think schools would be open to it, truthfully, um, because I'd rather see a couple additional conference games rather than seeing, you know – Liberty on the Well, Liberty has been better this year, but like middle Tennessee on the schedule for Virginia tech or Richmond or someone like that. I'd I'd like to see other schools in the ACC instead. I think it would bring more fans to the stadiums too across, across the conference.
0: Yeah. And again, we're going to talk about scheduling here in just a minute, but I, I would be kind of shocked if, if the ACC went to a 10 game conference schedule without the whole country going to like a 13 game regular season of some sort. Um, so for what that's worth, um, I, I've, I've, I'm like you, I've, I've been a fan of it. You know, Georgia Tech this year played at Syracuse. They played at Boston College. They played at NC State. Um, I don't know when the last time would have been that they would have played all three of those teams. I don't think they ever have played all three of those teams in the same year. Um, and that's just off the top of my head, you know, so that's I think that's a big positive. I, I think back to the times, Mike, before Syracuse and Pittsburgh jo- and Louisville joined the ACC and we still had Maryland that uh, <laughs> throwback, but it was when it was a 12 team league and you had the eight conference games and what it was was a six plus two. So you'd play um, five teams in your division, you still had the permanent crossover, if I'm not mistaken. And then you also had two other games rotating between the other five teams in the other division where you play Team A at home uh, and Team B on the road one year, and then the next year you play Team B at home and Team C on the road, and it would kind of just work through that way. Um, because it's kind of ridiculous at this point, Mike, that there's seven teams in the Atlantic division, and Georgia Tech plays Clemson every year, and then they play the other six teams every six years like once <laughs> i mean right the fact that you can have a whole like a red shirt senior that never plays one of these teams is crazy um so it's definitely something that in, encourages more rotation you know more uh you know changing up the way that you know these schedules are drawn up on a year-to-year basis i'd be a big fan of um obviously we've talked about in the past um different scheduling models. And again, we're going to get into that here in just a minute, but I know Bill Conley's uh, pods models is pretty effective, but I think there's a few different ways to do that. So um, again, we'll come back to that. Finally from Chris, lastly, I know it's already been mentioned somewhat, but what is the new ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips going to be able to do for ACC football? Will he be more focused on elevating the profile of the conference or working on improving policies such as player compensation?
1: ACC network. Mm Mm-hmm. Doubt it from the heavens, baby. Get that bad on Comcast, please. And please, for the love of God, put it on Comcast so Scott and I don't have to spend money on YouTube TV for a subscription that we don't need.
0: Or just like you know, streaming it from semi-legal sources on the internet. Nobody does that. I would right?
1: never. I would never encourage that. No, Nobody I've does never that. Never done that before recently. Yeah. Um. <laughs> ACC Network, that's number one. I think name image likeness, I I think that's going to end up being an NCAA thing, not a conference thing. But I think Phillip's given uh, his history with that, which I'm not as well versed on as I should be, admittedly. So I'll kind of do some research on what he's done for name image and likeness. But from what I understand, he's been a major proponent of that for athletes. So he is probably going to have a pretty heavy hand in the say, at least from a conference standpoint, kind of voicing his opinion on it. I need to read more about what he's done in the past in that regard. I'm not as well versed on that as I should be, but I do think he will have an impact there based on everything that I've read. So that and ACC network are the two. I think ACC network is the number one issue that he's going to try to tackle and address um, as the new commissioner, but Ultimately, we'll see um, kind of how this thing takes shape over the next six to nine months uh, when he's in office.
0: Yeah. I, and the other thing I'll bring up is something that we kind of just hit on a few minutes ago that I, th- I don't know that he's going to have to deal with this immediately, but it is something that he's going to have to deal with, I'm just guessing at some point in his tenure as ACC commissioner, is the whole Notre Dame situation. I, I think there will come a point that the ACC is going to try to strong arm Notre Dame into joining the conference for football. Uh, I, I think that's going to be a challenge, but I think that's going to be something that comes up during his tenure. And I don't know necessarily whether that works or doesn't. You know, will Notre Dame join or will they not? Obviously, lots of reasons not to for them. Um, but you know, the ACC can do things to to make things tougher for Notre Dame if they so choose. Or um, you know, th- th- there's options there. I think that, th- that they can pull some levers if they choose to to try to get Notre Dame in in with the conference. I um, agree. Chris, great questions. Finally, last one he mentioned was departing quarterbacks and their transfer placements. Uh, so Chase Bryce headed to App State. Hendon Hooker just announced yesterday he is headed to Tennessee. And then Nikosi Perry from Miami, we don't have a destination for him. He just recently announced he was going to be transferring. Um, Mike, curious your take on those first two quarterbacks and then where we think might uh, might end up with Nikosi Perry.
1: I think Nikosi Perry is probably heading to a G5. Um, probably, yeah. I I don't know where the transfer portal is a crazy place but I think he's got the talent to play at the FBS level still. He could potentially make an FCS move similar to what Quincy Patterson did transferring to North Dakota State. I think that's a great fit for Patterson, but I don't know if Perry will be up for that. I think he may just stay at the FBS level and just go to a smaller school than Miami. I would not anticipate a Power 5 move, but maybe I'm wrong about that. We'll see. I who knows? There's a million elements at work here with that. There is
0: one power five school that sticks out to me. And really there could be a couple, but typically when these guys transfer, they want to go back to home, um, you know, go closer to home. Perry is, okay. is from Ocala, Florida, which is a little bit North of Orlando. So kind of mm-hmm. getting up uh, towards the Northern part of the state, getting towards the panhandle. Um, <laughs> Mike, you know what program is real nearby and is going to be looking for a new quarterback going into next year?
1: Florida state.
0: Uh no, <laughs> That would be the Florida Gators.
1: Oh, okay. Well, yeah, sure.
0: I, I, I don't think that's going to end up happening. Emory
1: Jones, man. Emory Jones is their guy, I think.
0: I kind of think so. I, I'm with you, but you know, keep an eye on that. Um, I don't know. Otherwise, I mean, USF would be an interesting option for him. I think that, you know, again, I don't know that, uh, that they've really sorted out their quarterback situation there uh, under a new regime. Um, otherwise... P five level, I guess maybe like a South Carolina or something like that, but they've got some pretty high highly regarded incoming recruits as well. So yeah. who's to say there?
1: I said I said Florida State, but then I remember they just landed Mackenzie Milton. So assuming he's healthy, then that's probably not a landing spot for yep. Perry. I don't know.
0: How do you feel about Hooker going to Tennessee?
1: Yeah, so I was gonna say the other two ports, schematic fit of Hooker, in Tennessee, I don't know how successful it's going to be. Um, I like the fit overall as the dog growls in the background. Um, I I like the uh, I like the fit from a schematic standpoint I don't know if it ultimately ends up working though and then as far as Chase Bryce is concerned with App State as long as Chase Bryce keeps turning the football over like he does I, I don't think there's a place in a place he could go in college football that'll be a good fit for him the way that he turns the football over so yep absolutely
0: thanks for the questions there from Chris Grondon last one here Mike from Lee Nobody uh, hey, guys, why and how would you want the ACC to realign and or expand in football? He said, here are some ideas. And he sent us links to four Reddit posts that it looks like he was the one that put together. Really cool ideas here. Um, really well fleshed out. Uh, a lot of details that he he puts in here. So we'll we'll tweet those posts out that you guys can go take a look at and kind of judge. But basically he had a 14-team schedule, uh, a 15-team schedule, a pod-based, you know, if they were to add Notre Dame and then a couple of 16-team schedules, assuming you add Notre Dame and another school. Um, first off, Mike, from an expansion standpoint, I mean, I, I would assume that it's good for the ACC if you can add Notre Dame and football, if and when you could do that. Um, do you see value in adding a 16th team, and is there anyone in particular you would try to target there?
1: I try to get Maryland back, and I don't know how feasible it is. I don't know what their contract situation is with the Big Ten. I know they like that fit in basketball, but bringing Maryland back to the ACC from both a basketball and football standpoint would be prudent. Um, I like what Mike Loxley's done there uh, in his, you know, I guess he's heading into his second full year. Um, I, I like what he's done there from a recruiting standpoint and what they've put out on the field. It's been an improvement in general for Maryland. Um, I don't know how successful that football program can be long-term just because of some of the elements that play there is basketball school. they, have some decent facilities. I've actually been on their campus a good bit because um, of recruiting events for work and stuff like that. Uh, But you know, they're, they're in an area that is big on basketball. DC Metro is just, you know, Georgetown, et cetera, big for college hoops. Mm -hmm. Um, But from a football standpoint, I, I really like what Maryland brings to the table. If you can get them back in the conference, I think that's one team I, I would point at saying that would make a lot of sense along with Notre Dame.
0: It'd be tough for them from a money standpoint to leave the Big Ten to come back to the ACC, especially considering like the enormous penalty they had to pay the ACC just a few years ago to uh, to head uh, to the Big Ten. So, uh, worth considering. Um, I, I don't know that there's a lot of other Programs. I mean, I guess you could kind of look through the AAC and look at a Cincinnati, you know, that would be a good one to bring in with Louisville and some of the other former Big East schools. Um, But yeah, I don't know. There's nothing that immediately sticks out to me from a a, a conference expansion standpoint beyond Notre Dame of who I'd want to bring in. Um, I don't know that any of the, you know, directional Florida schools would make sense. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have a great answer for that. Um, as far as who that would be. But I think we can generally agree, Mike. I mean, something that that locks in fewer, like, written-in-stone opponents every year for each team and allows more rotation, um, you know, again, the Bill Conley pods model, if you've never seen it, basically it enables you to play the entire conference home and away in a four-year span. Um, you basically would end up probably, I believe, it's with three permanent games that you play. So, for instance, it would be, like, Clemson, Duke, and Virginia Tech, or something for for Georgia Tech, right? Um, and for Virginia Tech, it might be their Georgia Tech, uh, Virginia, and I don't know. Take your pick, Boston College, or something like that, you know. But then basically the rest of the conference rotates on a home and away basis every year, and that leaves you with, I believe, either eight or nine conference games. I can't remember how exactly it works, but that was a big uh, a big thing that I'm a big proponent of, and I, I believe in. I think that would be really good for the sport and for the conference.
1: Yeah, I agree with
0: you. And then as far as realignments, uh, it's something that we've talked about a little bit in the past, and we can probably dig in a little bit more here in the off season. But the obvious model would be probably just to put all the former Big East schools together in one division. Um, you've got Miami, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Louisville, um, and then maybe you throw in like Florida State or something. And then the rest of them are like kind of ACC OGs uh, with Georgia Tech, Clemson, Duke, North Carolina, Wake Forest, NC State, uh, right. Virginia is that right I don't know I feel like I'm missing somebody in there but apologies if I did but yeah I mean I think that would be I think that would be a cool option but I think there's others you could do as well from a regional standpoint or again trying to keep rivalries together standpoint or you could even just throw out divisions altogether and, and just kind of go from a uh, divisionless standpoint really
1: yeah no I agree with you it'll be interesting to see like if they ever went that route what that would end up looking like
0: yeah all right, that does it for listener questions here. Thanks again to Walter Hobbs, Scott Savino, Lee Nobody, and Chris Grondin for sending in all those great questions. It served for a lot of really good discussion fodder here as we start working our way into the offseason. And once again, those are some things that – a couple things there that we could probably dive into pretty deeply at some point during the offseason. We've got a little more time and can talk more in uh, some – some less certain kind of just speculation kind of things. Um, So I I think that'll be some things we can come back to here in the next few months. So keep it tuned here Uh, for those still listening. Mike did have to take off. Uh, We're trying to record here in the middle of a a work day and he had a a meeting he had to run to. So uh, we're going to go ahead and just jump out of here without him this time. You guys can find us on Twitter. Twitter. Uh, I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC, also at BC Podcast ACC on Instagram. So come check us out there. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine find podcasts are sold for free. And of course, as as Chris Grondon and Lee Nobody did, uh, we also had a great email from Keith Derrick here recently. Uh, shout out to him. We weren't able to get to it on this podcast, but uh, really good response to our, our Clemson discussion recently. You can send us an email with all those things to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com.
1: Nailed it.
0: Thank you, thank you. Uh, and you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate and review. Find all of our podcasts there. And, of course, go uh, go check out Homefield. Support them, homefieldapparel.com. Some of the Internet's premier, premium, comfortable, good-looking, vintage, licensed collegiate apparel. Uh, Several ACC schools already on there. And if if your school isn't on there, hey – Go ask your school. Why are you not on here? Why are you not partnering with Homefield Apparel? They do a great job. Uh, Make sure you use promo code GOACC at checkout for 20% off your first order. That is HomeFieldApparel.com. Cannot recommend them highly enough. Thank you for your support of not only this podcast, but also of those folks. uh, Connor and the gang up in Indianapolis, they do a phenomenal job. So go support them. Check them out. Once again, GOACC at checkout. Uh, that'll do it. We're gonna come back here and probably recap the national title game a little bit, but more more importantly, we're gonna do a full on recap of the season. Talk about you know what did we get right, what did we get wrong? Uh, probably do a little bit on the way in the way of players of the year, coach of the year. Uh, you know maybe an, an all ACC team that we put together. So keep it tuned here. There's lots more content coming your way even as we get into the off here within ACC football. But until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. Enjoy the national title game, last game of the year before we get into that offseason. We will talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC!